Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Hancock Whitney. Hancock Whitney is here for families, here for businesses, here for communities during this challenging time. Visit HancockWhitney.com slash COVID-19 for the latest. And by... Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. From our socially distanced virtual lunch table in Lafayette, we're out to lunch with Christian Mader, publisher and editor of The Current. It's business, Acadiana style. Welcome to Out to Lunch. I'm Christian Mader. Grocery stores did very well during the pandemic. In 2020, Lafayette grocery stores pulled in just over $300 million, a 10% increase over the previous year. And that makes sense. Restaurants shut down, people stayed home, supplies were key to surviving a stay-home order. Now, imagine that there wasn't a grocery store near you. Imagine you lost your job or you were furloughed. Maybe you don't have a car and the nearest grocery store is five miles away. If that's your situation, you live in what researchers call a food desert. And that's not just a problem during a pandemic. Having access to healthy food is essential to a good quality of life. And more and more people now live in food deserts. They live shorter lives with higher rates of chronic disease. And it's a serious social problem. Um, and it disproportionately impacts poor and historically black neighborhoods. My guests today have worked to bring healthy food to communities without it, specifically on Lafayette's north side. Uh, Kevin Ardoan comes from a family of farmers, but he didn't become a farmer himself until he had an epiphany. So he quit his job in retail and got to farming. He now owns Zydeco Farms, a 43-acre produce farm in Evangeline Parish. And in 2020, Kevin launched Fightinville Fresh, the first farmer's market in Lafayette's Fightinville neighborhood. And its mission is to make good, healthy produce available to folks living in a food desert. Kevin Ardoin, thanks for joining me on Out to Lunch. Thank you, Chris. Uh, so while Kevin is working over in Fightonville, my next guest has been planting all kinds of seeds in the Macomb Vise neighborhood of Lafayette. Tina Shelvin Bingham is the executive director of the Macomb Vise neighborhood coterie and the community development director for Lafayette's Habitat for Humanity. Uh, she's worked to grow prosperity in that neighborhood since 2012, and that includes creating a community garden where Macomb Vise residents grow and share produce. Like Kevin, Tina's current career path was a bit of a detour. She was trained as an engineer and is now engineering a brighter future for her neighborhood. Tina Sheldon Bingham, thanks for coming on Out the Lunch. <laughs> hey, Christian, how are you? Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great, great, good to see you. Um, so, Kevin, you launched Fightinville Fresh uh, in 2020, and you describe it as a as a farmers driven farmers market. And so, that kind of when I heard that term, I thought to myself, well, aren't all farmers markets farmer driven? I mean, what's different about that? Our main focus was to uh, highlight the farmer. You know, it's like uh, we try to stick true to those roots. It's like a uh, majority of uh, our market is all about food, fresh food. Uh, and then if we have to deviate from that, we try to go to like the value added products. It's all about fresh, healthy products. You know, it's, uh, it's and, and we, we, uh, we strove to eliminate a lot of the hurdles, like to get into the farmer's market. Like we make it simple as, you know, you grow some good, healthy, organic produce, you show up and you got a spot. So, so when you say farmer driven, like, you know, that market won't necessarily carry as much of like the extra products that you often see at a farmer's market. You go there and, you know, there's a guy who's making kettle corn or, you know, you go there and somebody. Right, yeah. right. So you guys are focusing on what stuff are pulling out of the ground. So, so you know, have you been able to, you know, find enough uh, enough farmers that are that are interested in, in putting food there? Yeah, um, we, we have been. And then it's all about 
you know, because people have to realize that the seed, the fertilizer, you know, it, it costs the farmers a lot to produce the food. So if, if the market is there, they're willing to produce, they're willing to ramp it up. You know, uh, we, we got a good team of people. We just, we, we want to grow for everybody if we could. It's just finding a market and finding the interest to come out there and get it. But we can produce it and we'll bring it. So, so Tina, I've always love concepts of community gardens um but you know if you don't grow up gardening or farming like kevin right it, i think it could be kind of intimidating and I, and I say that from some experience because i've killed two different citrus trees in my own backyard uh, so you know whenever you guys put this together right i mean did, did you have trouble getting the community to buy into the idea of actually doing the work like actually wanting to get involved i mean was was that at all a struggle have you found that people have really taken to it well i think getting any any project like that started off the ground is is always uh, going to be a struggle um but usually when you have a, a project like a community garden it usually starts from a passion from an, a group of people who are passionate about eating healthy and doing different things in the community so we started in that way and we actually rallied with the the coder group itself actually went out and built those beds and grew in the grew in the beds for the first couple of years until we moved to the uh, farm location that we're currently at. Um, but it, it took a lot for us to get the community really involved. But I say, when I say a lot, it's, it doesn't take a lot to make a phone call or to call a friend that you know uh, wants some cucumbers, you know. <laughs> um, but it, it does take a lot by way of means if you don't have the, the income or um, the, the way to advertise and market your, 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 your things to the community. Um, so with us, with uh, the community garden, we did a lot of grassroots knocking on our neighbors' doors, letting them know that things were here, letting them know that we were growing and the space was available for them if they wanted to grow. Um, and we're continuing that uh, that model as well at our Home Growers Community Forum um, in the, right here in Macomb Vizay's neighborhood uh, on Gauthier's Road. So so how does this actually work in practice? I mean, like, do, does anybody just stand? Like, can anybody just kind of walk up and, and grab a cucumber? Or, or, or is there, you know, is, are there hours of operation where, where somebody's there to say like, you know, I mean, to kind of make sure that there's enough for people to take? I mean, just, I'm kind of curious as to the logistics of it, honestly. Well, initially, I'll tell you where our first location was for our community garden. It was kind of a, you can literally walk up and grab a cucumber. We didn't have a fence or anything. It was, it was a community garden. We grew um, local staples for the community, cucumbers, bell peppers, tomatoes. Uh, we had okra. Uh, you can just go and harvest it right there. Um, but now with our home growth community farm, we do have hours of operation. Uh, we tend to work uh, Monday through Fridays, uh, 8 to 12, and then on the weekends until uh, everybody gets tired or until the sun tells us we have to go in. Um, so uh, it, it's generally kind of the community just taking some interest. Um, and because of the location of our farm, many people didn't even know that there was a farm there. Um, so really educating the community that our farm exists and that um, they can be a part of that farm as well. Um, but just the folks who have passed by the community farm um, and saw what the work that's happening and, and saw the markets that have happened in the Macomb Vise as a, a result of the, that farm and the work that's happening there. Um, we've had more families that are interested in growing on our farm and this year we'll have about three or four families that will be growing with us uh, collectively on the farm with Macomb Vise to grow food for the community, but as well as to grow food for their businesses. As well. Wow. So, so Kevin, I understand that you guys also have, so you're, you're, the, the, the market is open a couple days a week, right? And then, but you also have a day and you have some supply that you make available for anybody to take too, right? I mean, that's a part of your mission driven organization. So you kind of make that available. I mean, how, how does that end up working? Is it a similar kind of process? Do you guys, you know, just kind of available a certain amount of time? I mean, do you, do you have just like a cabinet that somebody can open and grab what they need? Yeah. Uh, 
the DSA, uh, we partnered with the DSA. They put out the pantry, and it's uh, the pantry is open twenty four seven. It's like it's a a take and leave model, like uh, and I'm you know I, I get so excited every time I'm out there because it's it's, it's a constant flow, cause a constant coming and dropping stuff off, and then you have people walking up and taking it. So it, it that that project is working pretty good, and then as we uh as it warms up and we start producing more crops, we're gonna start adding fresh produce to that box too. Mm-hmm. And so you're you're also in addition to doing the work with fighting the fresh. I mean you're a, a farmer. I mean you have the, uh, your own farm. And is is that the only place that I can get you know the stuff that you grow? Is is that your only outlet? Or are you are you bringing it to other you know restaurants or, or grocery stores? I mean what do you do with the other stuff that you grow? My goal, my end goal is to all the produce that I I grow from you know tomatoes, bell peppers, cucumbers. I want to be able to get that away to the community free of charge. I mean eventually I want to plant. Four acres of produce that I want to give away for free. Um, so, so Tina, how has the, the the community garden kind of worked? And you know, as part of like your broader efforts to you know do community activity and stuff. I mean, I, you know, your your role both within Habitat and and with the Coterie, right? I mean, it's you're not just about doing community gardens. It's you know broadly about community development and prosperity. So, how does that fit into sort of your larger goal? So, um, directly, the form uh, fits into being able to. Uh, Primarily what Macomb Ace project uh, focuses on is making sure that the community as a whole has uh, everything that it needs to be able to survive and thrive and have a really great quality of life within our community as best as we can right within with the current market. <laughs> but uh, our projects uh, stem just from the forum we uh, we started with our Kresge project, where we uh, in, created the forum in the cultural district for Macomb Bizet, but we also added another layer to that where we began three years ago offering the Business Academy, which is um, a dual entrepreneurship and food entrepreneurship uh, model, where we take businesses and people from the community, everyday folks from our neighborhood, and show them how to create a business and how to get their products to market um, so that they can um, be able to sell it. And where we use our homegirls community market, or I'm sorry, our market at the, uh, the community house um, as a way to incubate those businesses and be able to help them get their products into businesses. And, and I'm happy to say that a couple of our businesses are actually going to be selling this year at a couple of businesses that you guys are familiar with. So we're very excited about being able to graduate them into that, but then also being able to offer them more opportunities um, as far as working on housing, getting access to adjudicated properties and lots for housing, but also for growing as well um, to be able to expand farm capacity and be able to get more healthy produce into our community. Who, who, who are the two businesses that y'all are getting into, into market? Well, I can't speak for the other business, but I can definitely speak for my own. <laughs> okay, that's fine. <laughs> One of them is uh, is my own, my own business. is owned by my husband and myself. Uh, we are the natural way. We are a natural tea bar, hmm. uh, and we'll be selling uh, teas at Black Cafe and hopefully at Guicho's Food Center in the uh, near future. That's great. Uh, so, so Kevin, I mean, you, you mentioned earlier that you know, kind of the stage that you're at is is trying to kind of build awareness to to, to what you're doing and like trying to reach. Um, you know, the people that you intend to serve, which look, I mean, it's a challenge anytime, right? I mean, like, but, but I would imagine it's been particularly difficult at a period of time where it's hard to actually be out and around people. I mean, how, how have you gone about trying to, to, to build awareness about, um, you know, both the, the, the farm and the services that it provides? Just like, like Tina said, we're word of mouth, just uh, like grassroots because being small, you don't have the big budgets for the marketing. It's like marketing is expensive and, uh, so it's just it's mostly it's been word of mouth and just putting out a good product. And the momentum is building is like uh 
with the community outreach that we do, you know, people are starting to see that that we're about helping the community. So they're starting to get on board with helping us get the word out and uh, just letting people know that we are there. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, look, I got to ask, I mean, like if you're you're doing everything you're doing is so submission so oriented. I mean, how are you actually, you know, be able to like make a little bit of money to pay for yourself? I mean, like, are you are you still able to sell products somewhere so that you can get by and make sure that you can grow what you're doing? I have other markets like uh, because we do, like I said, we, we, we have a big uh, we have a pretty big operation out there. So we do have uh, other other crops that we grow as far as our cash crops. Like we do a, a big okra crop uh, right now. We're trying to put in a crawfish operation. With this weather, it's being so cold, so that's not that's not helping right now. But uh, we hope we hope to be able to produce some crawfish this spring. So it's, it's other things that we do to uh, generate income at the farm. So with the produce, it just it's just my dream to uh, be able to grow produce to give away. So I mean, something that kind of brings to mind. I, I know that the you know Kevin, you come from a, a family of farmers. The nature of farming is extremely different than it was 50 years ago. I mean, like you know these very, very large institutions that tend to dominate it. Uh, I know it's been particularly, I think, difficult for, 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 for farmers of color, in fact. I mean, so how have you, I mean, how does, how does this is sort of like a traditional ways of making money, right? I mean, people have been making money off of farming since the beginning of civilization, right? I mean, that's like how we organized ourselves. I mean, how does farming as a, as a, a job or an occupation fit into like, you know, the contemporary world. I mean, how, how do you really do it now? It's with, with farming, especially like, and then it, it's all about your network and, and the people you have around you supporting you. It's like being a former of color, it is, it, it is harder for me because it's not, and it's not to say that I don't have help because, you know, I, I have some amazing people that have stepped up their form and, and they mentor me and helped me. But it's just, uh, it's just finding another former that's doing it and it's successful and willing to help you because you can't you can't do it alone, but it, it, it is you can make a living form and it's not like you're not gonna get rich you know you're not gonna live a fancy life, but you can live a good life and and, and we need more people to get involved especially people of color and, and young people minorities, we, you know we, we need to get involved with this because it is it, viable, especially with the awareness of. Uh, you know, with the pandemic, everybody want to get healthy and eat healthy. You know, it's, it's, it's viable as a way of life. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Christian Mader. I'm talking with Kevin Arnwett of Fightinville Fresh and Tina Sheldon Bingham of Lafayette Habitat for Humanity. So, so Tina, I mean, like, you guys do a lot of work in, you know, promoting economic development in, in the neighborhood. I mean, do, do you see that urban, far, urban farming is something that that sort of similarly viable? And to the extent that Kevin's saying, like, look... You know, this is a way that people can make money. Maybe you won't get rich off of it, but that's okay. I mean, if you can get by, I mean, like, is is that part and parcel of what y'all are doing with at all? I know the community garden may be a little bit different, but I mean, do you see that as a viable way of developing sort of like neighborhood level economic development? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think that if as a community, if we stop growing a little bit less grass and grow more tomatoes, we'd uh, be less hungry, right? Um, but uh, a part of it and what makes big, uh, big agriculture so successful is that they could produce high, high quantities at large amounts, right? Um, and in African-American community in particular, we've kind of lost our connection with the land uh, for whatever, well, not for whatever reason, <laughs> very specifically, slavery has caused kind of a, a, a negative connotation with the land in our community because we've worked so hard for land that wasn't ours that we don't own. 
Um, and now it's the kind of the reversal of thought is uh, how do you now incorporate and get reconnect people back into the land and show them the opportunities where uh, there may be a small farmer that may be growing a whole bunch of cucumbers that they don't know what to do with, but they can enter into the supply chain and get that to one of the restaurants or get that to a local grocer um, and make sure that the grocer is providing natural food. Now, what comes into, into play with this is because uh, what, what isn't always highlighted is that there's always these regulations for small farmers uh, that kind of gets you a little bit, uh, tells you where your niche is and where you definitely aren't wanted, right? Uh, you have to make sure that your produce is grown a certain way. Uh, certain uh, markets only want the, the greenest cucumbers. They don't want anything ugly. You know, so it's it's really finding the market that really fits your what you're growing and what you're trying to produce. But then also for farmers, it's creating value added products and products that you can create from the, the produce that you're growing. Right. Someone could be growing tomatoes, bell peppers and cucumbers, and that could be like a bomb chow chow. Uh, who knows? I don't know. It can be a nice marinara sauce, um, but it can be a locally owned and operated marinara sauce. And it could be something that we all are naturally doing in our communities anyway. When you look across Macomb Vise, across communities all across Lafayette, you see mom and pops in the, in the kitchen making okra, making pecan candy, they're canning okra. They're making pecan candy, making popcorn balls. All of those things are small scale manufacturing. Those are businesses, okay? And those are ways that you can get into building wealth for your community, being a farmer, being a distributor, being a buyer. Um, so it's just different ways that you plug into the market. I think that really shows where and how you actually, you know, open up your business plan to be able to uh, make ways for new ways to bring in new income sources. Um, we'll make sure that black farmers in particular uh, will be able to, you know, be a, a viable part of this market. So Kevin, I mean, I Tina brought up the idea that there's, you know, there's even some sort of regulatory barriers to doing this kind of work. Have you found that there are, you know, some sort of government regulations or maybe even just like consumer habits that have made it difficult for you to accomplish what you want to do? There are regulations, but it's, it's uh, I mean, in, in like anything else with the government is like, it's about the hindrance is, is the fees. You know, you have to pay, you have to pay application fees, but the hurdles are not that bad because it's basically based on, on sanitation and, and, and proper uh, proper growing procedures. And you want to do that no matter what scale you're on. So if you're doing the right things, the, the regulations won't be so much of a hurdle. It's more about the financing. That's that's the hardest thing with the small grower is just getting the startup capital to to, to, uh, to be able to start growing. And and the regulations will come with that, but it's just it, it's just the initial the initial finance. That's That's been the hardest thing as far as I see. But mainly means mainly being educated about the regulations, right? It, it's because uh, there's always going to be a fee or a finance or something associated with it. But if a, a, a farmer doesn't know that they have to be GAP certified in order to sell to Albertsons, that could could deter, you know, your crop, you know. Um, and if you don't have the funds to get certified to sell to Albertsons, that's a whole other story. And don't say that you want to be organic. Oh, no, don't say organic. That's at least $20,000 on top of that, you know. Uh, so how do you get around like knowing that you grow an organic product, but you can't sell organic because you didn't pay that fee to be able to put organic on your on wow. your label? I mean, so, so how are we? teaching people to do this. I mean, Kevin, I know, you know, of course, there's got to be some family um, education there. But I mean, like, look, my dad's a civil engineer, I don't know how to build a bridge. I mean, so how do you how do people? Um, how, how are people learning how to compete or how to do this work today? Because there are programs like uh, I went through the LSU, they sponsor a Grow Louisiana program every year. And I was fortunate to be selected into the last cohort. 
and and they taught us so much. So it's about taking programs like that and expanding it. Because I think it was a uh, maybe eighteen of us in the class, which which is great. But imagine we could have had a hundred or one hundred and eighty people in that class, and they was and they was taught everything that I taught. And even if half of them would have took it and ran with it like we did, the impact that it would make. So it's about it's it's good programs out there, but it's about expanding it and getting it to the people that really need it. Is, Tina, is that some of the work that y'all are able to do through the Coterie? I mean, are you guys providing any sort of education resources for folks that might want to get, I mean, maybe not even just specific to farming, but any kind of business development where you're dealing with, look, I mean, there's a ton of paperwork. There's stuff that you don't know that you need to know to start a business. Everybody goes through that. Absolutely. Absolutely. We, um, a big part of uh, our project in Macomb Visa is community education and making sure that we're learning while we're learning that we're also educating and learning alongside the community as well. Um, so uh, our, initially our grant, uh, just about everyone in our committee would actually was able to go to like the stall conferences and go to some of the training there around agriculture and learn a little bit more about that, but mainly so that we can come back to the community and educate our, our residents about what's available and what they would have to do. But then we also partnered with Southern University and their Ag Center and their uh, Small Business Development Center in Baton Rouge, and they actually would bring their bus uh, here to the community house where we would teach classes around uh, food entrepreneurship, around uh, product safety, farming, and um, business uh, and entrepreneurship opportunities. And I think Kevin may have participated in a couple of those classes. A couple of them, right. Yeah, yeah. so um, we've definitely, uh, we're definitely doubling down and COVID kind of slowed us down a little bit. We yeah. had one class uh, at the beginning of the year, but because of the the, the traveling with the, the bus with Southern and uh, some of the classes are held on the bus, actually, uh, it just wasn't safe for us to be able to host those sessions, but we did go virtual. So there's a way for people to still plug into Macomb Visa's classes virtually, uh, where we'll, we're wrapping up uh, this month our business Academy for 2020, and then we're going to be kicking off 2021 with youth entrepreneurship in April, and then in June we're going to be following it up with 101 and 201 in the Business Academy. You guys do some great things over there. Even you know uh, it has Macomb Visa in the name, but I but I can say it is for all the last year because oh, yes. the programs that you you guys put on, you know, you have people from all walks of life. It's like there's some really good stuff y'all have going on over there, and I would recommend anybody if they could get in. Get in. Thanks, Kevin. Oh, that's awesome. Fight Bill Fresh recommendations. <laughs> that's an endorsement right there. <laughs> From Kevin, not Fight Bill Fresh. Kevin recommendations. <laughs> but yeah, uh, all of the things that we're doing in the community, it's not just for Macomb Visa residents. Uh, our name does say Macomb Visa, but it's open for all people in the community to come and learn with us. Uh, because the only way we're going to make the, the change happen in our community is we start building a collective base. Um, and if we get those folks, the people that really care about moving our community forward, that's who we're looking for. And so our work is always open to everyone. So, so something I, I kind of, it's kind of on topic, but a little bit of a different flavor. I mean, something that I'm often struck by is that, that people don't necessarily in Lafayette identify really strongly with neighborhoods. I mean, not all the time. And I mean, and and so, I mean, I think Macomb Vise has obviously a very, you know, significant cultural history. Fightinville is kind of like a name, like some people say Fightinville, they might use another name for that area. But um, I mean, have you guys found that, that people have really, you know, a um, you know, adapted the sense of like, this is my neighborhood. And of course, look, you can be a member of a neighborhood and a part of the city. Like that's the nature of being a person. But, you know, I guess like I'm often struck when I talk to people about that, like that they don't, they don't really necessarily know about this neighborhood or that neighborhood. I mean, have you found that, that people in Lafayette are becoming more aware of 
the neighborhoods and the and the strong cultural identities that those neighborhoods have. Oh, absolutely. I I think so. I think uh, with the work that because I don't think people really knew anything about Macomb Vise until I kept st- talking about it. Right. So <laughs> and then it made people in fight. What not that people in Fightingville didn't talk about it already. But because um, my, my family and my parents are from my parents really are from Fightingville. Um, so uh, I think it's really in in, in communities in the north side uh, in, in especially African-American communities. I think knowing our, our neighborhoods and having that sense of place within our community has always been something that's been rooted in our culture and heritage. Um, but it's, it's really interesting to see more people from the community connect with those neighborhoods now. Um, and even hearing stories from people um, who are, I mean, because most of these areas, and especially in the north side of town, are predominantly African-American. So when you see white people saying, you know, I, I was from Macomb, and I'm like, oh, really? Tell me more. You know, I lived in Vise. Yes, please tell me. Uh, Fightingville and, and just telling a little bit of the history of those neighborhoods. Um, and, and what I noticed is that even though people leave these communities, because most of the people that grew up in Fightingville, Macomb, the zip, all of these different communities may not live in those communities still, but they still represent those communities wherever they are. So when they move to Bayberry Point, they're still representing Macomb Vise uh, in, in their communities as well. And, and, and it's really uh, heartwarming to see that. Because even uh, I was on the fence because when, when I named uh, our market Fightingville Fresh, I, I got a lot of flack for the name. It was like, why, why would you name it Fightingville? Why would you name it Fightingville? But when you when you look at the history uh, of, of the Fightingville neighborhood, it goes back to to like at the turn of the century. That area was the, the outskirts of Lafayette, so that's where everybody would go to fight and do because you couldn't do it in the city limits. So the the, the name Fightingville has been around for, for over over hundred years. So I just adapted that name to speak to the history. But I caught a lot. I, got, I, I still, to this day, I catch a lot of flack about about that name, Fightingville. Yeah, because some people feel like, especially with Fightingville, like I've caught people say, you know, it's well, why would you want to celebrate like de- uh, violence and you know, people went to fight over there, and I was like, but that's a part, but that's a part of the identity of the neighborhood. Like we can't just throw it away because you don't like the name. You know, <laughs> it's a that's a part of the community. You know, that's a part of my mama's heritage. That's a part of my grandparents' heritage. So we can't throw it away. It's just it's better to just embrace it and embrace the people that are there in the community that are rallying behind this this sense of place um, that has been created by that name. Yeah, and and on that note, I mean, Tina and Kevin, you guys are both doing such important work, actually developing and cultivating that sense of place, right? I mean, um, you know being deep rooted in, in your history and trying to figure out a way to, to grow from that deep base outward is such important work. And, and, and I'm really grateful to see that you guys are both doing that. So Tina and Kevin, it was great having you both on the show today. Thanks for joining me on Out to Lunch Acadiana. Thank you for having me. My guests on Out to Lunch Acadiana today have been Kevin Ardway of Fightingville Fresh and Tina uh, Shalvin Bingham of Habitat for Humanity. We edited this show to fit into the time slot here on KRVS, and you can hear our unedited conversation to find out more about Tina and Kevin and what they do by listening to the Out to Lunch Acadiana podcast, which you can find anywhere you get podcasts and on our website, itsacadiana.com. If you want to know what we look like, you can find photos from this show on itsacadiana.com and on our social media. These photos were taken by Jill LaFleur, and you can find more of her work at LaFleurphoto.com. You know, one of these days we'll get back to hosting out to lunch uh, in person over on Planet Grits and Griots at the French Press in sunny downtown Lafayette. Until then, you can go to the French Press yourself for breakfast or lunch or order it for delivery. 
Uh, Out to Lunch Acadiana is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsacadiana.com and KRVS 88.7 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our associate producers are Molly Richard and Jan Risher. Our researcher is Maggie Mendel. I'm Christian Mader. I'm editor of the current Lafayette's nonprofit source for local news. And to find out more of what matters in Lafayette, head to thecurrentla.com and sign up for our newsletter. Until then, I'll see you here again next time around our virtual lunch table for more business, Acadiana style, on Out to Lunch Acadiana. Bye-bye. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com and by Hancock Whitney. Hancock Whitney is here for families, here for businesses, here for communities during this challenging time. Visit HancockWhitney.com slash COVID-19 for the latest. And by... Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com.